Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. The scripture reading this morning is taken from Psalm 1, reading verses 1 to 3. Um, This is Creekwood's Growing Deep Roots. This is our scripture, so that's what we will be reading this morning. Um, So let these words uh, speak to you, God's words speak to you. Um, Let them meditate in your heart. Um, and ponder and listen and hear what God has to say to you through his word. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season and their leaves they do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so tell me your favorite thing about Sunday school. Um, that my teachers are awesome and that I get to make things. Um, what else have you done in MP Kids? I've made um, probably like tags for um, the nurses and doctors at the kids' hospital. I've made labels for Thanksgiving foods for people that don't have food. So being at Creekwood and uh, being in Creekwood Student Ministries has really broadened my horizons and given me the great opportunity to preach here uh, on Sunday back in August. And a couple ways that that you know, really impacted my faith was um, I got to apply a lot of the knowledge that I'd been accumulating over the years, not just from uh, Creekwood Student Ministries and former youth pastors I've had here, but also an opportunities that Creekwood has given me uh, through programs like Texas Youth Academy and Big Stuff and all these different mission trips and service projects that I've got to go on and everything that I've got to experience, I got to roll that all into about 10-15 minutes um, and preach for the first time and it was a really great opportunity. Uh, it was something that you know I had wanted, I'd been thinking about doing for a while and I'd wanted to do and uh, I talked to Katrina about it, and she, she was so happy uh, to have me do it. And had the whole process coming up to it was really what I think I got the most out of because it was more uh, diving into the text, going and looking at other texts, comparing them, kind of getting into like the nerdy 
history stuff of you know why why all this stuff was written, uh, what was the purpose of it, and then almost translating it to kind of fit a congregation, um, and you know that's kind of what I think. God comes in and his work just flowed through me and I just had an idea um, and I think getting to experience that is something that you know you don't not everybody gets to do um, and you know a lot of people aren't comfortable with the talking in front of such a large audience and so I think it's important that um, you know I am a youth but I think it's important to get youth involved uh, doing stuff like that and not to have a future career maybe as a pastor but just to you know be as involved in the church as possible and uh, kind of like broaden the horizons of, you know, hey, maybe I could do that one day. And so I think that's why I did it. Um, and I'm really happy I did do it. Working with the youth on SALT blesses me because I get to see the kids encourage each other and lead each other and teach each other. And it just teaches me to watch them to learn. And I love working with the CSM Sunday afternoons. Just the opportunity to be around the children the youth and, and watch them interact with each other as young adults and watch them grow and ask questions and, and challenge each other. Uh, it challenges my faith and helps me grow as a Christian. I just, I get so much from being with kids. It's amazing. So there's a common thread that goes through those three different stories that we present and even a common thread that extends to the other stories that have been presented before a sermon each Sunday during this series, and that is the uh, common statement of, it's not about me. Even the bishop's video earlier, he you know, gave me a shout out and thanked me, but I know that there have been clergy who have come before me, and we have current clergy who are serving now that um, do things that I can't do, and we have staff, and we have lay leadership, and we have everybody here who participates in this organism, and the uh, best that I have seen us in and the healthiest seasons of life are when we are a season where we recognize it's not about me. So let me tell you a story about a farmer. There's a farmer who was driving back from the market. He is chewing on this red, delicious apple, this crisp, fresh, refreshing bite after bite as he's driving back with his bushel of apples along with the other produce and fruits he'd gotten from the market, going back out of town to his farm. And the farmer's a real do-it-yourself kind of guy. He's the guy that's, you know, if he, if he can't do it, it's not worth doing. And, and, and if he can't do it at the moment, he'll figure out how to do it. And so he recognizes, you know, when I eat this apple, there's going to be seeds. Well, I can grow my own apple tree, and therefore I don't have to drive into town ever again so I can plant my own apple tree, I can have my own apples, and my family can eat apples day after day, month after month, and I will be able to feed my family this way. So sure enough, he's done with some of the apples. He goes, he collects the seeds from the cores, goes out, tills the land, puts the seeds in, and he just day after day, month after month, year after year, waters and cultivates those trees, puts the water in there so that the living water can flow and inspire root growth so those roots can grow deep and strong so that those apple trees will never be uh, blown over by the wind or they won't ever uh, fade with the time or they won't succumb to any kind of natural disasters. And so day after day, month after month, year over year, he goes and he tends to these seeds so that they will one day feed his family for generation after generation. Now every day as he's uh, tending to these seeds right by the road. It's the road that the kids come back uh, from school on. So they're riding their bikes and they're walking along. And every day these kids will stop and they'll see this farmer watering this bare patch of ground and, and tilling the land, this bare patch of ground. And they'll say, farmer, what are you doing? And he'll say, I'm tending to my apple tree. 
And the kids would be very confused and they would look at the farmer and say, you know there's no apple tree there, right? And the farmer just thought they were kind of good for nothing. They didn't really know as much as he did. And so he would sarcastically respond back, not yet there isn't. And day after day, month after month, year after year, they would have the same interchange. It became this kind of game of who's right and who's not. And, and a, little bit of, a little bit at a time, we started to see a sapling grow. And we started to see some leaves bud. And after about six years of day after day, month after month, diligence of the farmer's patience, time, and energy, there you could see from the road the crisp redness of the first apples starting to grow from this tree. And the farmer was so delighted at the progress he had made, this miracle that he had made happen. And, and one day he was out on the field with his tractor and he was just thinking about how proud he was of his apple tree for his family that he was going to feed on his apples and make his apple pie. And he looked back at the tree and he saw it rustling and he realized there's no stiff wind today uh, to make these fragile branches blow around. And he looked real hard and he saw these kids who were sneaking around in this small fragile apple tree that he'd been working on for six years. So he jumps off the tractor and he runs over and he yells, Scram! Get out of here! Get off my property! These are my apples! This is my property! Get off my land and and several of these kids are obviously scared they've got their bushels of apples in their in their shirt pockets and they're you know just running as fast as they can he chases them to the end of the driveway and yells don't come back here this is my land this is my apple tree this is my apples and he starts walking back just frustrated and he hears the slightest movement in the tree and he thinks he'd gotten rid of all of them but he goes over and and on the one branch that's firm enough to support any kind of life whatsoever, he sees the scrawniest seven-year-old boy that you've ever laid your eyes on. And the little seven-year-old boy is up just a foot off the ground, hanging on, trying to hide behind any foliage that there is. And in his hand, he's got a half-eaten apple, and he's chewing, trying to chew as quiet as possible. And the farmer just sarcastically looks at this kid and says, well, I bet that tastes real good now, doesn't it? And seven-year-olds don't always get sarcasm. So the little boy looks back at the farmer and says, it sure does, mister. This is the best apple I have ever had. How did you grow an apple like this? How did you grow such sweet, delicious fruit? I want to do something like this. And the farmer is just stammered because he's supposed to make the kid afraid. And the kid's just not afraid of him at all. He says, well, it takes time and it takes discipline and it takes hard work. And you got to have faith in what you're doing. You got to believe in what you're doing. You have to love what you're doing. It takes time. Something you kids would never know nothing about. Now, why don't you just get down off of this tree? You just, you just run on. And the little boy just kind of sits there with the biggest smile on his face, takes another bite of the apple and says, you know what? I bet if you and I both planted seeds, we could feed the entire town. The farmer says, that's ridiculous. It takes five to six years before fruit even comes up on the quickest of apple trees. It'll take us eight years, 12 years. You'll be graduated and gone by the time that that would even be fathomable. Just leave me and my tree with my apples and my fruit so I can go back to my family. Just get on out of here. And he says, mister, I sure would like to do something like this. And the farmer says, I'll tell you what, I don't really believe you. I don't think you have what it takes. But if you come back tomorrow... And the next day, and day after day, and month after month, and year after year, and you water these seeds, and you till the land, and you take care with love of these seeds, then sure, you can do whatever you want with the apples. 
And so that got the kid to finally get out of here. So the kid scampers off and the farmer goes back and he's just disgruntled and he's upset. But the next morning he gets up, he does the rest of his plowing, does the rest of his crops. He goes in to have his cup of coffee. He goes to pet the cat, watch a little TV. And then all of a sudden there's this knock on the door. And he's thinking, well, my wife's out for the day. I don't know where the kids are right now. Maybe this is one of them. Who, maybe they lost their key. Who could be knocking on my door at this time? And he goes to the door, and sure enough, there is the seven-year-old scrawny kid with overalls and a hat and boots and says, I'm ready to be a farmer. And the farmer says, well, I guess you're here. So he goes and he gets the seeds, and him and the boy go out, and he teaches them how to till the ground and water the seeds and Day after day and month after month, this kid keeps coming back over and over again. And until about six months into it, this kid doesn't come back one day. And the farmer is actually waiting for the knock on the door. And he can't figure out, well, if he's disappointed that the kid's not there or if he's happy that the kid's not there. So he kind of lets it loose for a day, but the kid doesn't show up the next day. And he doesn't show up the next day. And by this time, you know, time and proximity tend to help us grow closer together. So by the third day, the farmer's worried about the kids so he goes out to the road where all the kids pass by and he stands there and he sees the little boy riding his bike along on the other side of the street and he runs over and he kind of catches the boy and says where have you been for the last three days and he says well mister you told me if I didn't come day after day month after month then I wouldn't be able to do anything with the apples and they were just all yours and, and the farmer has a little bit of compassion inside of him by this point and he goes well you know just well, one day, but if you come back tomorrow and the next day and the next day, well, you can, we can do whatever you want with the apples. And by the, I mean, there's just too many seeds for me to take care of by myself anyway, thinking he's making the boy feel good about himself. And, and so he goes back in and the next day there's a knock on the door and the farmer kind of excitedly gets up and goes to the door and opens the door and there's the little boy and he's brought two friends along with him now. And the little boy and the farmer says, who are these kids? And he says, well, mister, you said that there were too many seeds for you to handle. So I figured we could use some more help. And so the farmer says, okay, well, you're here. So he takes them out and he gives them some seeds. And they start putting them in the ground. They start watering all together. They start working the land. And day after day and month after month, these three kids start taking care of these soon-to-be apple trees. And, and, and they start to see some progress after a couple years. And then as the other kids are going by, they see the progress of these little saplings growing. And, and one by one, these kids start coming over and saying, well, well, these kids are helping. Can I help? And the farmer says, well, sure, I guess. Well, you know, why not? And so each, each month, a new kid comes in, starts planting seeds, and starts taking care of trees. And, and fast forward, month after month, year after year, about six years later now, there are an entire community of children that have taken care of apples. And the farmer looks at the now... 13-year-old boy and says, you know, we just might have enough to feed the entire town. And the farmer reflects on this and he thinks about the miracle of one seed that can turn into an orchard. But then he thinks about the seed as well of that maybe it wasn't about the, the orchard, but it was about the little boy. And then he planted a seed in the little boy of, of hard work and faithfulness. And then they formed this bond that has blossomed into this loving relationship. And then he thought, well, even more so important is the seed that that little boy planted in him. That they could take one tree that belonged to me and feed an entire town with it. The farmer pats the little, you know, the now 13-year-old boy on the back and says, well, we did it, didn't we? We fed an entire town. 
And the little boy looks up and says, we sure did. How long do you think it'll take to feed the next one? This is the part of the story that we have been a part of, of starting, of inheriting. It's the story of a church of 20 years. It's the story of a church that goes back 2,000 years. It's the story of God's creation when humans are called to be the stewards of the earth and expose things to the living water that nourishes them and gives them the opportunity to flourish, to feed larger than we could ever imagine so. And, and I love when we look at the psalm that was used as this opportunity of, of expiring patience for people who started a church that one of these days if we cultivate this through the living water one day we will bear fruit in its season and will prosper and all of these different things but as I look back through the history there's been fruit born all along the way it's not always just about the end journey but it's about how the relationships that have formed along the way the good that we've been able to do to mentor the children who came into the farmer's field the fruit that was grown that we didn't even know about at the time I think it's real interesting when we look at verses 1 and 2, it very much tells us how we're going to get to the prosperity, how we're going to get to the fruit that is born, because there's two categories of people. And the first one is the people who sit on the seat of scoffers or follow the way of sinners or um, the the people who uh, follow the advice of the wicked. And I won't go into the entire Bible because we need to get to communion, but the entire Bible, if you look at it, anything that is deemed as the wicked kings in Kings, Chronicles, or Samuel, or those people who are deemed as selfish or standing in the way of God's ways in the world, are generally people who start with the question, what's in it for me? If I participate in this, if I give you my funds, if I give you my time, if I give you my heart, if I give you my passion, what's in it for me? And those are always the people who are trying to take. But when we look at the ones who rejoice in the law of the Lord, the ones who meditated on it day after day, month after month, year after month, those are the people who generally ask, what can I do for God? And what can we do together? When we look at the scriptural account, and this is the story of why we've been able to bear fruit, is because from the very beginning it was always deemed that we needed to come together as a church to bear more fruit than we can do individually. And like one of the things that we've done really well, that I think we've done really well, at least in the time that I've noticed, is we are very good at empowering leaders to go out into the community and lead well, and whether it be marching band or whether it be the golf course at Heritage Ranch or city council or who knows where, we are very good at taking Jesus and putting Jesus into the community. And I think that's really great, but the thing about that is that it means that the basketball players are still only with the basketball players and the stay-at-home moms are still only with the stay-at-home moms and the golfers are still only with the golfers and, and it still segments life. And, well, I guess the story could have been that everybody got their own apple seed and they just went back to their own property and they placed the seed in their own property and they had their own apple tree and nobody ever shared and they only fed their family and whoever didn't succeed didn't succeed and whoever succeeded succeeded. But that's not the story of the church. The story of the church is when there's a widow and orphan, you feed them too. The story of the church is when there's poor people who have to glean from the edges of the field, you make sure that there's food for them to glean from the edge of the field. The the story of the church is when there are people passing by your community, you treat them like they're part of your community. The story of the church is that we don't just take Jesus into our own individual lives. The story of the church when it is in its healthiest, prosperous season, our church and the church universal, is when we do gather together and we sharpen each other and we encourage each other and we make sure that nobody stumbles and we make sure that nobody falls behind. We make sure that everybody is thriving and prospering. That is the story of the church, and that is what we are a part of. And thanks be to God that we found each other 
and that God brought us together. Because the point of the story is not totally what lies at the end. The point of the story is the fruit that's born along the way. When we do get together around a table and rejoice that God gave us his son in Christ, and God united us with the Holy Spirit to do things beyond what we could ever imagine. And even more so, when we join together regularly, when we join together consistently and faithfully, so that we can feed entire towns with the love of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, it's in your presence that we sit down at your table in the joy of communion, which there is an abundance feast, which is not simply one person taking for themselves, but it is building a bigger table and a bigger table so that we can rejoice with new voices and new seeds planted so that one day God perhaps will not only feed our entire town, but the next one as well. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.